The following is a production of SAK Digital Ventures. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, a place where you can sit back, relax, smoke a cigar, and talk about Chicago sports. Now, here's your host, Steve Cass. Welcome to Cigars and Sports Chicago, episode 25. We have reached the quarter century episode mark. You are at your best place for Cigars and Chicago Sports. Let me set the scene. We are at the Cigars and Sports Chicago Studios. That is at The Place, 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove, Illinois. That's The Place, 5236 Main Street in Downers Grove. Please come by, smoke a cigar with us anytime. We're always around. We always want to hang out with you. We'll talk sports. We'll talk about whatever you want. Might even talk politics, but we don't talk about that here. Um, And Phil doesn't like to talk about it with me ever. You can follow us on Twitter at Cigars and Sports. You can get this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever the hell you get your podcast. But you know that because you're listening to a podcast. As always, I would like to introduce my uh, friend, colleague, and co-host, Phil Sullivan. Phil, what are you smoking? How's hey, everything going? going? Great. Uh, Steve, congratulations uh, on 25 episodes of Cigars and Sports Chicago. I find it hard to believe at this point that we haven't been canceled or uh, toned out for well, more than likely something I would have said. I think that's yep. fucking great. <laughs> but uh, I'm enjoying a, uh, a nub triple roast this evening. Looking forward to... Uh, catching up with you we haven't had a show in a little bit so let's see what we got to talk about tonight here's what we're going to talk about first of all i'm smoking a k by karen connecticut toro something i like very much and let's get right into this man you know i hate when i listen to these shows i listen to these podcasts and they talk about a bunch of crap for 15 minutes before they get to the subject we're going to talk some white socks we're going to talk some bears but let's start out talking about the real story as it relates to the White Sox. Certainly it's not baseball, although they have won two in a row under new skipper Miguel Cairo. I want to talk about the mysterious disappearance and the mysterious absence of TLR. And here's the context I would like to put this in. Think with me here for a minute, Phil and everyone else. It's not really about TLR. It's more about the White Sox organization. Because, you know, the more I think about this, you know what? TLR didn't hire himself. Who hired him, Phil? Got hired by his good buddy, Mr. Reinsdorf. Right. I mean, he, whatever TLR is getting paid, he doesn't pay himself that. They paid him. You know, they. why is he still there? Because they haven't fired him. The fact that, you know, he has, he does a lousy job and does whatever bad things he does. They are enabling him because they allow him to be there. But let's talk about the facts related to this situation and TLR's disappearance. We know that Tuesday night around 6.15 p.m., the White Sox announced that TLR would not manage because of, quote, health concerns. Now, interestingly enough, they told no one about this. And they simply put it up on the scoreboard and and put it up on and put it on Twitter. So the players found out that TLR was no longer managing by looking at the scoreboard. Yes, that's true. 
And you and I know that we have somebody close to the White Sox, you know, uh, affiliated with the organization who was in there that night and said that he had nothing to do with it. In fact, I think I'm the one that forwarded us all the, you know, all the, the tweets. You guys thought I was fake newsing you. All right. TLR, an hour before, he did his regular pregame, you know, media availability. He was his cheerful, articulate self an hour before. <laughs> That's all relative. We also know that 15 minutes before this incident, he was walking around on the field. We know that Rick Hahn was on the field. I mean, we know this factually. He talked to Rick Hahn on the field. And what do we know now? We know that all of a sudden, mysteriously, he had some kind of health concern. He's gone. He couldn't manage that night. He can't manage again, you know, indefinitely is the word. They have obviously no obligation to tell us what it is, if it's a health reason. But what do we know? We know that TLR has a drinking problem. And I'm sorry, but we do know that. The man has had a two DUIs that we know about. And in fact, if you remember, Phil, just the other night, we watched both of his police videos on YouTube. So we're well aware of that. Do you know who I am? We also know that um, someone who is on this show right now has seen him completely hammered in 2022. So my question is, what is the deal with this guy? We don't know what's wrong with him. There's something circulating that it's a, you know, it's a heart problem. Whether that's the case, I don't know. But I guess my question is, speculation is, is this just some kind of soft landing so they can get rid of him by the White Sox? You know what? I doubt it. Doesn't really make much sense. They haven't fired him this long. They got a month to go down the stretch. They were six games out two days ago when he when he went down. And certainly, if they were going to get rid of him, they would have gotten rid of him by then. So no, it's not some kind of soft landing. My question is, is based on the fact that he was highly visible 10 minutes before, maybe was he drinking on the job and somebody noticed it and turned him in and they sent him away. I don't know. I am speculating in the absence of information. But what I do know is it's not even about TLR. This is about the White Sox. And we're going to talk about some other screwed up things that they've done when we actually talk about the team and the payroll, etc. So whether he was drunk on the job or whatever, I've actually come to the conclusion it really doesn't matter. But what the hell is this organization doing? And they still haven't even done a press availability about this. Wouldn't you think that Rick Hahn would go to the mic at least after the game, you know, and be like, hey, here's the deal. We have it under control. You know, we like Miguel Cairo. We realize it's, you know, I mean, so what's your take on all this? You know, I think a lot of what you said, uh, I certainly lean towards the um, suspicion of it all. Uh, one thing that makes it jump out to me is they did come out rather quickly to White Sox and said he had a heart condition or a heart issue. Now, you've got some of the best heart specialists and heart hospitals within about two miles of Sox Park. You would think they would have sent their valued employee almost immediately or first thing the next morning to a local doctor that the team would know to get that heart checked instead of putting them on an airplane with a so-called heart problem or a heart issue that they don't know what it is yet. So that's what lends to a high level of suspicion by me. I agree with you. I think the suspicion lends towards Tony's past issues. And all I can say is back to when Reinsdorf hired him, you hire somebody that has an alcohol or a drug issue and a serious one of either one of them. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when that issue is going to bite you in the ass 
or or some effect of it. And uh, you know, if this is what it is for Tony, I hope he gets his help he needs. And you know, I hope as a seventy-seven year old man, maybe he could finally put some years ahead of him that might be better off than they are uh, now. If that's the issue, but you know, God help the White Sox that they that they didn't uh, see this previously, and that they you know they caused this issue just by hiring a man uh, to begin with, as far as I'm concerned. And if it is an alcohol-related issue, we know they don't care because the guy got a DUI a month before they hired him, and they then covered it up for us, and they then never talked about it ever. So I'm just saying, as a White Sox fan and on behalf of White Sox fans, step to the mic, tell us what's going on, admit that you guys have made mistakes, Talk about what you're going to do differently. Hopefully hold someone accountable. I'm at the point where the guy who I believe you described in um, spring training as, what did you describe him as? Who, our, our beloved manager? No, no, Rick Hahn. Remember when you said he was a genius? Yeah, right, All right, right. So our, our Rick team Hahn, genius. I thought you were on the Tony issue there. Believe I me. didn't see Rick Hahn, but I did so, see Tony. <laughs> Rick Hahn, the genius, I've grown a little – short on patience with this guy now as well because here's the thing man as we look forward this team is mediocre and by the way if they win the world series or something i'll go back and apologize and say that i was wrong but here's the deal with this team right they have had this horrendous year with a 211 million dollar payroll okay seventh in baseball that's a lot Normally, you associate winning in baseball with money. Don't you agree? Well, they've spent money, and they're certainly not overperforming their money if you consider the fact that they're in third place in the worst division in baseball. And then you take a look at some of the decisions that they've made and the lack of flexibility that it gives them for next year. Because let me just tell you this, and this a lot of times doesn't get considered adequately, but... The thing about signing bad contracts is that unless you're the Dodgers or the Yankees or whatever the case may be, the, th- the problem with signing bad contracts is that you then cannot, it gives you lack of flexibility to sign other guys. So what do I mean by that? This year, Jose Abreu is in the last year of his deal and he is making $16.6 million. He's in the last year of his deal. The last time his deal was expiring, he talked about wanting to sign with the White Sox. He wasn't even going to look at another you know, team, all this kind of stuff. You don't hear a word about that now. And the reason is because finally his agent has gotten to him and be like, hey, man, look, you, maybe you could probably get another two-year deal. You know, you're, By the way, Jose Abreu, I understand the power is down. The guy is leading the American League in hits, so he still must be able to hit the baseball. You know, and then you've got a team like the Astros that really doesn't have a first baseman. You know, and you consider the fact that could Jose Abreu get somewhere between 40 and 50 million for two years somewhere next year? Of course he could. And he's not stupid. It's probably his last contract. He's going to. And here's the thing. The White Sox can't re-sign him. Why can they not re-sign him? Because they already have two first basemen who are both better defensively than him in both Vaughn and Sheets because neither one of them can play the outfield. So even if you could get creative and you wanted to keep a brace, so you figure you get rid of one of those guys and you double down on somebody as a DH, you know, you make a trade, you know, whatever, 
But they can't do that. And the reason they can't do that is they can't spend free agent money at first base. Because let me tell you some other things. How good has Lance Lynn been this year? And I understand he pitched fairly well today, but how good has he well, I been? Mean, you know, yeah, he's been horrible. And you talk about a player. Okay. I mean, how good's he been compared to his money? You know, and then don't even get me go- don't even no, get me going right. on that catcher. You know. Okay, so he's been horrible. Well, let's we're not even going to talk about this year. They owe Lance Lynn next year nineteen million next year. Okay, Yasmani Grandal, he's awesome, right? Oh, he's horrible. I, you like Yasmani Grandal? I don't Grandal? think I've seen a, a pro yes. player play as bad as him. I, I sent you. Uh, well, next year, next year you're paying him eighteen million. Okay, you like AJ Pollock? You better like him because next year. And by the way, he's fine. He would be an adequate third or fourth outfielder on a championship team that needed a stable veteran. But on this team, no, you're paying him ten million. Do you like um, Yoan Mankata and his two hundred average? And he's and he's always hurt. You like him because you're paying him fourteen million. All right, you like TA? That's a joke. <laughs> don't get. Don't you get like me TA? Started. Tim Anderson. He's getting paid four million this year but he's got a $10 million option for next year. You know, Kendall Grayman, he's been okay, $8 million. Oh, you like Joe Kelly? You're paying him $8.5 million next year. Could you do something better with that? Hey, here's the problem. Do you like Lucas Giolito? He gets paid $7.4 million and he's an arbitration two next year. No, he's an arb three. So he will probably get somewhere between 10 and $15 million next year. Do you want to pay 10 to $15 million to him, or do you want to just let him walk? Yeah, I mean, the decisions that they have to make are all based on what Han put them in. You know, I no, mean, no, I'm not done them, yet. This is all on Han. I, I agree with you. The genius. The I'm not done genius. yet. Right, I'm not ahead. done yet. I got, I got more. All right. So Luis Robert and Aloy, they make 8.3 and 7.1 respectively. That's fine. Oh, you like Louis Garcia? Because you're stuck with him next year for $5.5 million. And then in 2024 for 5.5 million, your grandchildren will be growing a beard and we'll still be paying Larry Garcia 5.5 million. But that's not even the worst problem. Okay. That's really not the worst problem. Oh, by the way, so, you know, you got Josh Harrison, you got a five and a half million dollar option on him, but you're obviously just going to let him go. So you have no, no second baseman. Here's the problem. I've already discussed all the guys who are getting paid. So Vince Velasquez, he's gone. All right, uh, Ronaldo Lopez. Here's a bit of a problem. He's been pretty good this year, right? He's been decent, right? Okay, so he's ARB3, and he's going to get paid. If you want to keep him and you can't just let him walk out the door, he's going to get paid like $7 million. So then Aaron Bummer, he's ARB3. I guess you could just let him go. Adam Engel, he's a free agent. But here's some things. Do you know what Dylan Cease gets paid this year? No. He gets paid 750000 Okay, he's ARB1 next year. So he's going to get approximately $17 million. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, start filling in the blanks. Michael Kopech, you know what he makes? He makes seven hundred and thirty grand. He's going to be ARB1. He's going to get at least $10 million. Okay? Everyone else is a freaking free agent. Here's another one. You know what uh, What Andrew Vaughn makes? 
He made 715000 this year, and he's in his last renewal year, so he's pre-ARB1. But don't you think you probably want to sign him before he goes to arbitration? So you're going to have to pay him. So here's the thing. Their payroll next year, like before any of these arbitration guys, and they have tons and tons of free agents, is already $144 million just by signing Kopech and Dylan Cease. Like in arbitration, which they're going to have to do, the payroll is going to be 170 million. There, they can't afford. And if they go address any of these issues, like second base, left-handed power, right field, you know, whatever it is, they have no money. So their only choice is going to be to let Abreu walk out the door. Probably let Lucas Giolito walk out the door. And by the way, you might say, well, that doesn't really matter, but. If you didn't have this bad of a situation, you might just grin and bear it, sign him for another arbitration year, see if he gets better or whatever. But you have to actually seriously consider just letting him walk out the door. And, I mean, it's this is a serious problem. Thoughts? Well, you know, it, it, when you're, I thought we'd get into our shows with the old man rant, but we're having the younger man rant today, um, which is awesome to listen to you. Thoughts? You know, it's there's a lot of guys that, I will have will not shed one iota of a tear if they let him go. I don't think you know. Put the money aside. Uh, I don't think losing Abreu is going to be a horrible loss to the team. I like Jose Abreu. Goes out and he plays every day. Uh, yeah, I like his game, but he's you know we don't know his age. I don't care what people say. His age is uh, you know whatever you want to throw a dart at a dartboard. He doesn't quite get hurt as much as some of the other players. But, he doesn't get but, hurt at all. He never but, gets hurt. You know, he's down this year, that's for sure. I mean, he, he might be leading the league in a lot of hits, but there's a lot of singles. His RBIs are down. His power is down. They could certainly put a couple other guys as a better fielder at first base. There's no doubt about it. I don't think that would rock the boat on the team. I don't know what do you do with uh, Jimenez and uh, and Robert. You know, what Robert got who got hurt again today? Someone pulled a muscle or or pulled a tooth nail or, hey, the or good a fingernail or something. Is well, well, well right, had so a hang nail today. Robert's already out with the hand oh, problem it. or the right. wrist problem. And, but Jimenez today, he went out with not sore legs. He went out with a sore right. leg. So, so leg right. So he had a toenail issue or something. I'm so sick of all that. I just I'm just done with these guys to get hurt all the time with these bullshit injuries. So, you know, I don't know what you do with those two guys, but this team, as they got, as it got built, it, it just doesn't perform. And this goes back to last year. If you go back and start with the all-star break of last year and run it through now, uh, this is not a good baseball team. Uh, so I don't know what they think, keeping this squad together and think they're going to finally gel. Does the manager have something to do with it? I think so. I think there's a, a lot to be said about that. You know, if this manager has been coming to work, not on his A game, and the players see it, it's no different than business. If your leader is going to kind of slack off, the players are going to slack off. Uh, you know, I think the manager could have something to do with it. I don't think he certainly doesn't step to the plate and decide whether they're going to hit a single or a double or a homer. The errors, the, some of the way that they played baseball this year, it, it's just been hard to watch. I'll tell you, as a Sox fan, it's been a brutal year to watch him this year. Abreu's power is down. I, I get that. 
His power is down, I understand. Here's the thing. The White Sox have played 131 games this year. Do you know how many games that Jose Abreu has played? 129, right? He doesn't take days off at all. And on a team where everyone is hurt all the time and, you know, it's questionable why they're hurt, this guy doesn't ever miss a game. And he still has an, you know, an 840 OPS. And frankly, if the rest of the lineup was hitting and the rest of the lineup was in there, he'd probably be driving in more runs. All I'm saying is it's a shame that we have to give up a guy who's become a legendary White Sox player, and you have to agree with that. The guy's won an MVP. The guy plays every day. We love the guy. So I don't want to say anything bad about Jose Abreu because he's the last of the problems on this team because this thing is a freaking disaster. I mean, it's like, it, it's a freaking disaster. It's a dumpster disaster. fire. This, you know, team, this team is a shit show, and there really is no easy fix. When you got to figure in all those contracts, you got to figure in all that money, and then you got to look at individually how these guys played, how they get hurt, and then you got to try to more than likely, hopefully, plug in a new manager, which then is a whole new coaching system, which hopefully, I think, hopefully starts with getting rid of that third base coach. So it's a, it's a, this team's a basically almost a dumpster fire level without doing it on purpose, which a lot of teams do. They do it on purpose these days. Here, the White Sox thought they had something, and it happened. It happened. I think it's well it happened said. to them anyways. It's it's. I don't think there's anybody on the team that's. If you get rid of them, you can't predict whether it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing. I you know, I don't know. There's nobody on that team that I could rattle off my tongue and I'd say I really want them to stay. Except, I'd like to see Dylan C stay on the team. Hendricks has certainly turned it around a little. I don't mind that guy is coming in and, and reliever. But there's not too many players. I like Vaughn. You know, does he make or break or bring you to a World Series? Yeah, I don't think so. But there are not too many players. I, as a Sox fan, I'd be really disappointed saying I can't believe he's gone after this year. This has been a brutal year watching the White Sox. And I understand, like, you know, I, I think that Aloy Jimenez and Luis Robert are both excellent baseball players, but the problem is they just can't stay on the field, and it's been that way since they were in the minor league, so there's no reason to think that that's going to change. And you know what? I don't want to get rid of either one of them. I mean, Luis Robert, when he is in the lineup, is the best player on the team, and that's not even a question. I agree with you. I mean, it's become, if you really look at it, it's become a dumpster fire without trying. And if you consider the money that you're going to need, the additional money you're going to need to spend just to put the same team on the field and good God, I mean, Cease and Kopech, I mean, they're both arbitration eligible. I mean, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, hey, Jose Ruiz, maybe you don't like him, but he gets paid 700 grand and basically his market value is at least 5 million. What's Johnny Cueto at? So that was my next point. Johnny Cueto. So Johnny Cueto is getting paid $4.25 million. So he's obviously a free agent. So Johnny Cueto, you know, for all intents and purposes, at the end of the year, he doesn't work here anymore. So what does Johnny Cueto get next year? Well, here's what I think he gets. He probably gets a one-year deal for $12 or $13 million from someone, or he might get a two-year deal for $20 to $25 million. How could he not? Look how damn good the guy's been. He did it again today. The guy's been fantastic. He's going to get a deal for next year. So he's walking out the door. So the question is, and here's what I'm saying, just to get back to where we are now, 
okay? You've got to pay all of these guys just to get back now. Think about how good that Johnny Cueto has been, right? What are you going to have to pay to get somebody like Johnny Cueto? Probably $25 million a year. It's, you can't comprehend the thought of how this team so quickly turned up so many problems. I mean, so many problems. And back to what you said about Robert, I'm tired of watching Robert and Jimenez dog it. I'm tired of watching them watch their fly balls to the outfield. Fair. I'm tired of watching Fair. that stuff. It's just been, like I said, it's been brutal to watch from a guy that maybe, at, you know, call me, you know, old school baseball, whatever. I just can't stand seeing these players. Uh, the, just the way they carry themselves, the way they walk, the way they carry. It just, and there, there's no accountability. There's nobody yelling at them. There's nobody saying a word to them. There's nobody getting upset. Drinking fountains, getting beat with baseball bats, or anybody showing any emotion—none of that. Yeah, this team's got a problem, and it's not going to be easily fixed. I'm going to ask you a couple of trivia questions now, really quickly. So, I would like you to tell me who is Sterling Weatherford. Who's that? Sterling who? Sterling Weatherford. Who is? El Kadeen Muhammad. Okay. Sterling Weatherford is your starting weak side linebacker for oh, the Chicago Bears. The Bears. Al Kadeen Muhammad is your starting left defensive end of your Chicago Bears. And obviously I asked you those questions because I figured that you wouldn't know who they are. Now the truth is, if I were to mention any other guy on the defense, you, you would know them. But so here's the deal. So the Bears, so we're talking about the Bears now. So we're done with the White Sox, I would assume. Yeah, we're done. Well, we have the rest of our lives to talk about that because you right. know we're not we'll never give it up. I mean, we just you know, we'll never give it up. <laughs> and by the way, for the record, it's just going back to the White Sox, yeah. I did predict them only to win eighty eight games. So I was not one of these like crazy people that thought they were gonna win the World Series. They were a flawed team and turned out to be a flawed team. But here's the thing. So the Bears have done a bit of an amazing thing. So they won six games last year, and everyone got fired, and we thought it was the worst thing ever. If they were to win six games this year, which I'm not saying it's possible, but if they were to win six games this year, we would be having a parade for them based on what they've done. It's amazing how you can change the narrative. But I guess, obviously, the preseason, they were 3-0, which is, you know, which is fantastic. And certainly, Justin Fields looked absolutely terrific. Three touchdowns in that last preseason game against Cleveland. Yes, I know that. You know, there were five starting guys on defense, on Cleveland's defense, not playing. The Bears had a lot of guys not playing as well. But I guess my my question is, how do you like the Bears' approach? Like, how do you like the philosophy? How do you like Ryan Pohl's philosophy? Because the way that I would describe it is, it's almost like a rebuild in baseball, where basically what he's doing is, he's going out and getting maximum young guys, you know, or potentially guys who who are still young but failed somewhere else, like the former Raider uh, Alex Leatherwood, the right guard, by the way, the Outland Trophy Award winner. So how do you feel about the approach of what they're taking, which is that they're just getting all the young guys and they're trying to see what they've got. And one of the reasons that they haven't gone out and signed one of these veteran wide receivers or you know, a couple of veteran guys on defense is that they just want to see what they got. And they want to give young guys an opportunity to play. And if they lose, they lose. 
How do you like that approach, and how do you like what Ryan Poles is doing? Well, you know, that approach makes a lot of sense, and one of the ways it makes a lot of sense, too, is we haven't talked about, and and I think they've done a pretty good job managing it during the uh, training camp, is injuries. We, you know, we haven't had any protracted injuries to this point that I that I know of, and I think grabbing all those young guys certainly will help because you have to in the NFL certainly predict uh, you, you're going to get injuries on the offensive line and the defensive line. And if you could just say next man up and not worry about, uh, you know, that, you know, we lost a super stud to an injury if they're all on a relative same playing field talent wise um, and just keep plugging them in. And who knows, these guys might, might start to shine. Well, I think that's fair. I mean, certainly just for factual purposes, Lucas Patrick has been out for the whole preseason. He's the starting center and was pretty much there marquee signing as a free agent from Green Bay. Byron Pringle, the guy who was doing donuts in his car with his kid, he's been hurt the entire preseason and hopefully will be ready to go here for the opener. Bayless Jones Jr., the third-round wide receiver pick, who's going to probably be the primary punt returner also, he's missed two of the three. Um, And then you got Nikhil Harry, who's on IR. But there haven't been a, a ton of things you know, certainly, uh, you know, Jaquan Britsker, the the safety, second round safety, he's missed, um, you know, he's missed some time. But I don't think that major injuries anyway are a concern. Certainly, they haven't had a bunch of guys go down on IR. I mean, the only one of note is that Nikhil Harry. Right. They haven't um, lost receivers. They haven't lost quarterbacks. They haven't lost running backs. And that's what I was getting at. Yeah, I, I you know, I certainly could have rattled off those same stats you just did, but you know, as far as guys going on IR, guys going on season and the injuries. Yes. Yeah, let's let's see. You know, I mean, I, I, I know you and a lot of people are in my uh, circle of friends have instantly drank the bear Kool-Aid after uh, our boy Fields' performance the other day. Um, you know, let's uh, let's strap it on and see how they do. They got a very tough schedule this year. They play a lot of really good football teams. Um, I would love to see the Bears. um you know, pull out a few upsets, but I, I don't have really high hopes for the Bears this year. I'd like to see Fields improve. I like the kid. I'd love to see him improve, you know, but, you know, my judgment's out on him too until we see him play through this schedule. What I've learned in the preseason is this. I think they're going to be well-coached, meaning that I think they're going to play clean football. I think they're going to play on both sides of the ball really, really, really hard on every play. It appears that Ibraflus and his hits principle, you know, he's got guys playing really hard. And offensively, I am optimistic that they are going to do things that complement Justin Fields' strengths, opposed to just throwing him into a system and making him adapt to that system. I think it's going to be the other way around. And I'm also optimistic that, in a, on a roster that has 13 rookies on a 53-man roster, that there's going to, you know, there are going to be some guys that are going to probably pop and be guys that we didn't know who they were and be pretty good. And there's just some interesting stuff to to look at, you know. I mean, the starting left tackle Braxton Jones, you know, is a rookie from a fifth round rookie from an unknown school. You know, I'm just, I'm interested to see stuff like that. So I just think from a, from a development standpoint, it's going to be really interesting because we're going to learn about a lot of guys that we didn't know anything about before. 
and they're going to play hard, and they're probably going to win a few games. How many games do I think they're going to win? I think that for sure they'll be able to win three or four, and I think it's possible they could win five or six. I'd be very surprised if they won more than that. So I don't know that I've drank the Kool-Aid, but I think I like the approach because rather than just patch the whole thing together with a bunch of veterans and try to chase a you know playoff spot where you get knocked out in the first round, I think I'd rather do it this way, knowing that they're going to have the most money under the cap of any team in the NFL next year, which is pretty exciting because if some of these guys pan out, they're going to be able to complement them with some really expensive guys. Like this is going to be a team that they're going to certainly have a lot of roster spots. They're going to need to spend a lot of money to do that, but they're going to be able to sign like two, three, four extremely high priced premium free agents. And if they have something to build around, you know, in the second year, that could start to be interesting. So all I'm saying is, you know what? I like not complaining at least now. I think they're going to play hard. I think they're going to play relatively clean. And I think we're going to learn about some guys that we like that we don't know much about now. And hopefully Justin Fields will be good. Yeah, and you know, I, I go along with you on a lot of that. But the judgment of the character of the players and even the coach is going to be, you know, when they lose five or six in a row and a few guys do get hurt. And do the players keep sticking with the coach's uh, game plans, or do they want to stick with his game plan? Uh, how much do, enthusiasm do they have? Do the coaches change their game plan? Or do they just say, we got this system, and we're going to drive it right into the ground, and we're not going to change? So, you know, things get interesting during an NFL season. It's a long season. Um, players can get a little disgruntled if they lose a few games like that. You know, all of a sudden they lose five, six games. All of a sudden they're one and eight. Uh, that'll be interesting to see how the new coach and the GM and how they hold these guys together. And, uh, you know, for going on to the next year, I think they all know this is more than likely a non-playoff team this year. We're trying to set the table for the next few years moving forward. As you said, they got a lot of cap space. They got a lot of money to spend. And uh, let's see how it goes from there. All right, Phil, it's been real. How about uh, we smoke a cigar now? All right. Let's, uh, let's get them on. Okay, that's it. Uh, that is Cigars and Sports Chicago episode 25. Thanks very much. Talk to you in the near future. Sugar Magnolia, blossoms blooming. That's all Indian, I don't care. So my baby down by the river. Who should have to come up soon for there? Sweet blossom, come on under the willow. We can have high times if you look back. We can discover the wonders of nature. Growing in the brushes down by the riverside.